I'm attorney Mark Lopez, Zach Bailey, and we're going to talk today about self-defense. Every day we see news stories, you see movies where people are defending themselves, shooting each other, uh, bodily harm, just punching, whatever. Zach, give us Indiana's framework for self-defense. When is a person justified in doing it? When do they go too far? And so just some common scenarios that we see as a law firm. Sure, and there are a couple common scenarios that we see. Um, the first one is defending yourself or defending another person. Say we're out in public, um, and somebody, you know, for whatever reason, there's an attack. You're allowed to fight back. You don't have to just take it. You don't have to try to run away. You're allowed to fight back. It becomes a little bit murkier when you use deadly force. So if somebody's beating you up and say you pull a gun, it's a little bit different. At that point, you have to show that there was a reasonable fear of serious bodily injury occurring to you or another person who's being attacked at that point. And it's not just reasonable according to you, it's a jury would have to think that that act is reasonable as well. So an outsider would have to look in and say, you know what, that makes sense. So Zach's talking about, it has to be subjectively reasonable. You had to actually believe that you had to use deadly force. And a jury, objectively looking at the situation, would have to believe that deadly force is um, required as well. Zach, you made an interesting statement, you know, you're allowed to fight back. Do you actually have to be hit first in order to claim self-defense? No, if, if you think that you or someone else is in danger, and it applies to other people as well, I, I can protect you in public. Um, I appreciate it. <laughs> you're, you're allowed to be proactive in your self-defense. Absolutely. And so, how about this? Give you a scenario. Um, I am in my house and somebody's breaking in. What kind of force am I allowed to use? So it's different. If you're protecting your own house, that requirement of deadly force, it's, it's a lower standard there. All you have to do is show that that force was necessary to stop the intrusion. So if you're breaking in and I see you coming in, in order to stop that intrusion, I can pull deadly force at that point. I can, I'm legally allowed to fire a gun at you. Now, what about that same scenario? That person breaks in, they, they see you coming down the stairs with a gun, they run out the front door and they're running down the block. What kind of force are you allowed to use? At that point, you're not allowed to use that deadly force anymore. That the risk of them entering your house and entering your property is gone at that point. It's you've already you've already stopped that that risk, so you're no longer allowed to use the deadly force in order to stop it. Now, different example. Um, somebody comes and you're you're in your front yard and you see someone hop into your automobile and they start driving off. Are you allowed? What kind of force are you allowed to use to stop that person from driving away? So you're not allowed to use that deadly force there. Um, if you were in the car, yes, you're allowed to use deadly force to protect yourself. But if they get in your car and pull off, there's not a risk of you losing your life there. And so you're not allowed to use the deadly force in order to protect it. Every year, we see tragic cases where people believe that they're exercising the rights properly, and they truly are not. Um, if somebody is leaving, if somebody is retreating, and you shoot at them, you hurt them, kill them, you will likely be charged with some form of murder. Um, please think before you use any kind of deadly force. And Zach, we talk a lot about shooting, but shooting is not the only deadly force. Oh, I can pull a sword on you. Um, absolutely. Zach and I did a trial where somebody was using a weed whacker, and the prosecutor was trying to find ways to argue that a weed whacker was a deadly weapon. And anything that's capable of killing another person can be considered deadly force. So be super careful with things like that. Are there any kind of limitations on self-defense? Sure. Um, self-defense, that defense begins when the necessity begins. 
So, and it ends when the necessity ends. So as long as you need to defend yourself, you can use that self-defense. But like we talked about before, when the person's running away, the necessity ends at that point. I can't continue coming after, if you were running down the street, I couldn't continue chasing you down looking to escalate the situation. Um, another situation, I need to be in a place I'm allowed to be. I can't be in somebody else's house that I'm not allowed to be in. Essentially, you have to be where you're allowed to be. You can't be defending a home that you have no right to be in. So you can't break into your, somebody's house and they start trying to kick you out. You attack them, kill them. Like, no, 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 you weren't supposed to be there in the first place. No, and that's an, another issue um, that people run into is if they were the ones who started the situation, they can't then, if I hit you, you hit me back, I can't then claim self-defense to protect myself from anything else. Exactly. So if you've started it, you provoked it, you antagonized somebody, things can get very murky. We already talked about this too. In order to use self-defense, you have to have a genuine belief that you're in um, imminent or in lawful fear of bodily harm or death. So those are the three things that have to exist in order for you to use self-defense. Those are the three things that are necessary to, for a person to claim self-defense. Is it possible for self-defense to go overboard? It, it absolutely is. Like what we talked about, if somebody's running away, if you continue defending at that point when the need's gone, you've gone overboard at that point. And we've also seen cases, we've not represented people like this, but we've read cases and heard of cases where somebody breaks in and you just unload round after round after round after round. So as soon as the person's no longer a threat, if you continue to beat them or shoot them, you cross a threshold of self-defense. And again, if the person dies, you likely will be charged with a form of murder. Yeah, there might be mitigators, but that murder charge is it's pretty serious. Um, self-defense is fact-specific, it's situation-specific. If you think self-defense is a defense to your criminal charge, it's super important to get an attorney on board as soon as possible. There are deadlines for filing notice of self-defense. There are deadlines for just all sorts of things. But even more importantly, if there's witnesses and facts, those have to be gathered up as soon as possible. So many times we've done cases, both as prosecutors and defense attorneys, witnesses who are helpful get lost, they're no longer cooperative, um, facts start changing. You have to lock down as much stuff as possible um, in order to preserve that claim and effectively present it to a jury. It's super important when you're talking to the police early on, too. You want representation for that kind of meeting because, I mean, you committed this act. Whether or not you were justified, they figure that out as the process goes along, but you want someone there representing your interests. Absolutely. Any parting thoughts? Just always plead the fifth. Always plead the fifth.